Well, I'm excited that you're able to join us today, whether you're with us in one of our three services on Sunday or whether you're watching online. Thank you so much for being here with us. We're glad you're here. We are deep into a teaching series here on My Sundays. Uh, This is part 13 this morning in this series. We've been talking about the kingdom of God. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew, especially Matthew 5 and 6, in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And we've said that this passage is really all about God's value system in His kingdom. If you've missed any of these messages so far, I really encourage you to go back and fill in the gaps. Uh, You can watch uh, the videos on our media player on our website. And of course, we recommend that you subscribe to our podcast because that way it just shows up in your podcast feed every Monday or Tuesday, and you never have to miss any of the teaching content. I think this is really important as we're teaching through a passage of Scripture like we are here in the Sermon on the Mount so that we hear everything in its context. The passage uh, that we're going to look at today as we continue to work our way through uh, the Sermon on the Mount is really about an issue that I think most people in our culture, in America, in Western culture, uh, that we struggle with. And ultimately, it's about entitlement. Entitlement is simply thinking that we have a right to something that's a privilege. It's thinking we have a right to something that's a privilege. And if you think about it, so much of what we have in our culture is a privilege. And when entitlement creeps in, here's what happens, and this this bothers us when we see it in our kids, right? What happens is we treat what really is a privilege as a right. And the thing is that entitlement really starts in me, and it starts in you. So here are some signs, some indicators that maybe you're struggling with this issue of entitlement. The biggest, I think, a lot of us in our culture, even in our churches, is that we're just not very grateful. So if we are struggling with a lack of gratitude, uh, you know, maybe you get a better house and you're like, well, I deserved it. Or, you know, it was my turn. It was my time. You get a better car, but soon that car isn't satisfying you like it used to. And just nothing seems to be enough. Or maybe the most obvious one right now is you get a new phone, right? But but it wasn't really the model that you wanted. Uh, It wasn't what you were hoping for. I mean, it's better than your old phone. And by old phone, I mean you've had it for a year and a half, right? But it's not the newest one, so you're kind of disappointed in it already. Really, there's a lack of gratitude, and we go through life disappointed and frustrated and kind of thinking, you know, what's next? I mean, like, how can I get a newer, you know, whatever, fill in the blank? And honestly, we tend to just be ungrateful for what we do have. So there's a lack of gratitude. How about this one? Envy. Envy is looking at somebody else and thinking, well, how can how come they live in in a house like that and we can't? How how come how come they drive a car like that and we don't? How come they get the you know the granite and the marble and the hardwood and and we're stuck with laminate because that's just so gross? And and how come we have to go camping somewhere we can drive to in a couple of hours and they're going on a cruise again? It's envy. It's envy coupled with why can't we, why can't I, when will I get to? And if you're you're envious, it's a very strong indicator that you struggle with an attitude of entitlement and we need some adjustment in our worldview. Third one, third indicator that you might be struggling with entitlement is a sense that you deserve something. Well, I deserve that raise. I deserve that office. I deserve this vehicle. I deserve some time off. I deserve this vacation. I deserve this whatever computer. I deserve this phone. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve it. Sounds like maybe we're struggling with entitlement. Here's number four, secret anger. 
secret anger. I know this kind of came out of nowhere, but secret anger. Because the truth is, you're kind of mad, and you don't come across as angry most of the time. You don't, people don't think of you as an angry person, but you're mad because it's just not fair. It, it's just so unfair. It, and it's a secret anger, but your anger is kind of building up. And it's building up against God, and you don't even know why, but you're kind of mad at God. And uh, you're, you're thinking, I don't know why God shortchanged me. I don't know why that guy is more successful. I don't know why she is thinner. I don't know why he gets a nice house. I don't know why they get to go on that vacation. And you're just kind of angry, but you're keeping it under wraps, or so you think. So we're just calling it secret anger. And then number five, oh, this one we're so good at, rationalization. Because this is a big one. It's big in our culture. It's big in the church. Um, what I'm convinced of is that a lot of our spending, a lot of our life decisions are emotional. You just want it. So you get on Amazon and you buy it. And then all of a sudden you have to backfill it with reasons, with rationalizations. And so we're like, well, it was on sale, right? I mean, it was on sale. That's my rationalization. Or I needed it. I deserve it. Or the old one was just about to break anyway, I'm pretty sure. Or it just makes sense, right? It's so much more efficient. And you're rationalizing. Why aren't we just honest about it? And why don't we just say, well, I wanted it. Or I'm a little greedy. Or I'm feeling a little entitled today. Or I just don't know when enough is enough. Now, Disclaimer, if you're struggling to put groceries on the table, and I don't mean like you're making six figures and struggling to put groceries on the table. I'm talking of like if you're making the median household income for our county and for some reason you're still struggling, I mean, uh, that's a different deal. But if you're making minimum wage and you're struggling or you've had some setbacks and you're struggling, then maybe this message isn't for you and you get a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a a pass maybe, a little bit of space here this morning, okay? So just, that's, just, that's my disclaimer. But I would say if you're middle class or you're even lower middle class, whatever that looks like, you're making the median household income for our county or maybe, I know some, for some of you, it, 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 you're upper middle class, you know? This message is for you. This message is for us because we have more than just about everybody else on the planet. Because even if you make $25,000 a year, you're richer than 90% of the people who live on this earth. And compared to almost anybody else who's ever lived in history, you have more than they could ever imagine. So it's a struggle. I think it's a struggle for all of us to talk honestly about entitlement. So I want to get into this principle that Jesus introduces us to here in Matthew 6. And before we do, because we've been tracking verse by verse uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, and we just finished this passage that we know as the Lord's Prayer in verses 9 through 15, uh, the next three verses deal with fasting. So I'm going to touch on this for just a minute. So let's read these verses. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, 
Fasting is something we don't talk a whole lot about in the modern Western church, but fasting was uh, a regular part of the spiritual practice and experience for these first century Jews. There were times when they were expected to fast. There were all kinds of instructions and rules about fasting. And uh, I'm really, I'm not going to get into the particulars of it because, and I think there's still a place for the practice of fasting, but that isn't really Jesus' point here in Matthew 6. So I'm not going to make it my point either this morning. The point Jesus is making here is the same point he was making in the first verses of this passage, where he instructs his disciples to you know, not to pray in order to be seen and heard by others. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about living for the approval of others. And Jesus simply extends the same principle uh, to, the, to the practice of fasting. Uh, the point of fasting was not so that others would notice that you were fasting, so that you could talk about the fact that you're fasting and how spiritual you are because you're fasting. The point of fasting was to take away everything that could be a distraction from your relationship with and your intimacy with your Heavenly Father. So the benefits of fasting were found in the secrecy of your fasting, and the moment Jesus is kind of teaching, the moment they start to talk about this and start draw attention, drawing attention to their fasting, uh, they've missed the point of fasting. All right, that's all I want to say about that for today because I want to get into these next verses. Let's keep reading verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Look again at verse 21. This is a pretty famous saying. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think this is how entitlement works. It's how entitlement finds its way into our lives. If you're honestly trying to drill down on this uh, in your life, you'll find that you feel the most entitled to the things you value the most. It's a simple proposition that you feel the most entitled to the things you value most. And this is because this is our assumption that we assume that what we're pursuing has greater value than what we currently possess. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't pursue it. So the better house in our minds has more value than the house we're currently in. The better husband has more value than the husband you're currently with. The better relationship has more value. The better car, the better whatever has more value than what you currently possess. And we tend to fall for that. And so we want to say, well, is this true? I mean, is this really true? Do we really think this way? Because we probably haven't thought about even the way that we think about this. Uh, But when we drill down to first principles, we begin to understand something in a new way. So how does entitlement work? How do we stop lying to ourselves? Well, I think one key has to do with value. And you, we have this assumption, you have this assumption, I have this assumption that what I'm pursuing uh, or maybe what I feel entitled to has greater value than what I currently possess. In other words, what I have today is okay. It might even be better than what I had in the past, but what I want to have next is better. Uh, the next upgrade, the next model, the next experience, the next vacation, the next car, the next house, the next job, the next relationship, it's going to be better. 
Here's a question. What if we're overvaluing what we're pursuing? What if our valuation system is off? What if we are actually overvaluing what we're pursuing? And what if even on those intangible things, what are, what are we overvaluing? What if we're building our lives on something that really doesn't have the value that we think it does? And, and humans are notorious for overvaluing and misvaluing things. And you can see that when you study history. So I think one of the most tangible and interesting and perhaps extreme examples that I've ever heard of happened 400 years ago in Europe. It happened in Holland. And the Dutch have always been a very industrious, very thrifty people. But they got into a situation of misvaluation. And it actually revolved around flowers. And you may have heard of this. In the early 17th century, the Dutch got into speculative trading around tulips. What happened was the tulip was introduced to Holland. It's not native to Holland. It was introduced by the Turkish. It was the Dutch traders in Turkey. So it was the 17th century trading routes that brought the Dutch into contact with Turkish traders who had these tulips. And tulips in Turkey were considered the most beautiful, prized flower. They were actually seen as sacred in the Islamic religion at the time. And even though the Dutch practiced a different religion, they latched onto this high value on tulips. And then they developed more and more varieties of tulips, and they actually began to increase in value. So much so that in the spring of 1637, a trader by the name of Francois Custer bought two dozen tulip bulbs, just ordinary tulip bulbs, for 6,650 guilders. And you're like, what does that mean? What's a guilder? Well, <laughs> it was the unit before the, long before the euro, but what does this mean in real dollars? The average family in Holland made about 300 guilders a year. That's all they made. And he bought two dozen tulip bulbs for 6,650 guilders. In today's dollars, that's about $1.6 million for 24 tulip bulbs. That's $67,000 per bulb. So I looked it up this week and I, I thought about bringing a visual aid. I thought about ordering some, but I wouldn't uh, know what to do with them afterwards. So, uh, but I, I thought I get credit for thinking about it, right? So I, I thought about ordering a couple dozen tulip bulbs just so I could illustrate this point. Uh, I looked it up this week. I could have ordered two dozen tulip bulbs for $17.48. Mr. Coster paid $1.6 million for the same thing. <laughs> so what happened? What happened was their value was not sustained. Check out, uh, I've got a chart for you. Check out this chart. Tulip mania started in 1634, and they increased in value, and they were traded until one day Francois Coster walked in and bid 6,650 guilders, and somebody finally woke up and went, these are tulips. These are flowers. Oh my goodness, what are we doing? And a panic ensued, and the price plummeted, and people lost their fortunes, and some people lost everything. Because sometimes, human beings overvalue things. And if you're like, oh, well, that was 400 years ago, we're much smarter than that, really. R really? Do you remember the dot-com bubble of the 90s? Do you remember the housing bubble of the 2000s? 
Uh, sometimes uh, there are things called uh, market corrections. It's a thing because where we have all collectively overvalued something. Now, here's the big idea for today, and it's simply this, that overvaluing the wrong things will cause you to overlook the best things. And that's exactly what happened in 17th century Holland. People overvalued the wrong things. And when we overvalue the wrong things, we overlook the best things, the most important things. Because we, we tend to fall for the idea that what we are chasing, what we feel entitled to, what we are pursuing, uh, the pursuit of our own happiness, you know, in our mind has greater value than what we currently possess, than our current reality. Because if we didn't think it had greater value and we didn't feel, we wouldn't feel entitled to it and we wouldn't be chasing it. So what if we spent our entire lives overvaluing some things that were really hyperinflated that caused us to overlook what's really important, the best things, the things Jesus has called us to pursue. And I, I believe that Jesus believed this was possible. So the struggles that you and I have with entitlement, even though we live in an entitlement age, are struggles that go way back because they're part of human nature and they're part of us trying to figure out, okay, what really matters and what doesn't matter that much. Jesus said, essentially, uh, you're going to miss some of the best things if you're not careful, if you don't drill down uh, on, on, on this very thing, because you're going to want to chase, you know, the car and the job and the house and the image. You're going to chase things that at the end of the day, you're going to look back and go, not that valuable because you overvalued the wrong things and caused you to overlook the best things, the most important things, the things that really matter. So what do we do with this? Can I take you to another passage real quick, another passage in Matthew where Jesus is once again uh, teaching on the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 13, here's what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. So we'll stop right there for a second. Is that how you think about the kingdom of God? As a treasure? As something of great value? Jesus' point is that it has great value and it's kind of hidden. Like, it, you don't always see it at first. It's not always in plain view. Sometimes you've got to go looking for it. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Now, this sounds like a weird thing to do, right? About a couple thousand years ago, this was a common practice. They didn't have a banking system like we have today. So if you had something that was really valuable, you didn't want to keep it in your house. It was too vulnerable to thieves. So you would bury the treasure somewhere that only you knew where it was and nobody else knew where it was buried. And so Jesus says, imagine that you're just out in a field and you come across this treasure hidden in a field. He says, so a man found it and he hid it again. And then his, in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. So see how his value system shifts here. I'm guessing before he found this treasure in the field, I'm guessing his house was really important to him. I'm guessing his livestock was really important to him. I'm guessing whatever implements of his trade were really important to him. All those things were important to him. But now he sells everything he owns to get enough money to buy the field. And in case you're wondering, the law, it was kind of like a finder, keeper, loser, weeper kind of thing. So he, he sells his possessions and he turns around and offers fair market value for this field, maybe even more to make sure that he got to buy this field and it's now his property and he unearths the treasure and now he's loaded. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is that valuable. He tells another parable, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking 
for choice pearls. Now, in, in Jesus' day, these merchants uh, would, would hire divers to go out into the Persian Gulf, into the Red Sea, into the Mediterranean, even into the Indian Ocean, and they would dive looking for pearls. And sometimes if they discovered a really choice pearl, it would be, it'd be worth a lot of money, right? So what do you do when you discover the choice pearl? Verse 46, when he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom of God, these things I've been teaching you about the kingdom of God, we're even calling them God's value system. He says they have more value than we realize, and we're probably undervaluing some of the things that he's talking about and showing us and overvaluing some other things. So what does this mean for us? First of all, if you're new to church, and, and, and a lot of this probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but uh, even if you've been in, in church for a long time, you're, you may be like, well, I've never really thought about the kingdom of God that much. I mean, church is all right, and I go when it fits into my schedule, and I read my Bible every once in a while when I'm not too tired. I mean, you know, it's all good. God has, has definitely made my life better, you know, probably. But do I really think of the kingdom of God as something being extremely valuable, uh, as being more valuable than the things I value? Hmm, I don't know. And I think Jesus is saying to us that we've, got, that we've completely underestimated what this whole thing is worth. I mean, how much did, did God uh, think this kingdom? And, and we're not talking about heaven. We're not talking about the afterlife. That's a different conversation. What we're talking about is what, and what Jesus was talking about was the work of God on earth. That's what Jesus came to bring into reality. He says, I'm here and I'm bringing the kingdom of God with me. The kingdom of God has arrived. So how valuable do you think the kingdom of God is to God? Well, it was this valuable, that he came in human flesh, he suffered and died for us, he exercised his power as almighty God and rose from the dead so that he could have relationship with us. So think about this. In this life, what would you lay down your life for? The answer is very little. That's a short list. And Jesus says to us, my value system is clear. You, the people I created in my image, are so valuable to me that I will give my life so that I can have a relationship with you. And when we begin to understand the value at work in the kingdom of God, we will start to value everything differently. And I think some of you are starting to access that. Some of you are brand new in your relationship with Christ, and you're just starting to figure out what it all means. But when we stumble on the fact that there is a God, and He created the universe, and He knows us, He knows you, He loves you, He's forgiven you, and when we realize that whatever you do, whether it's more money, more success, newer cars, better houses, better vacations, whatever, none of that quite solves the problem of the human condition. And we realize that one thing is missing, and it's not even a thing, it's a person, it's it's Jesus. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. And when we finally begin to put that into place, then we're like, oh my goodness, that has value. I undervalued that and I overvalued some other things. And others of you, you know this very well. Uh, you've, been, you've been able to keep it front and center in the proper place in your life because your story is, well, this is who I was before I met Jesus. Then I had an encounter with Jesus Christ and he changed my life and there's no other explanation. So let me tell you about it. And you love to tell that story because it has value to you. And Jesus said, if you want to put value in context, he's like, I can do that for you because people are like, you know, well, what's What's all this, the Christianity, the Bible, church, what's this whole thing about anyway? Jesus would say it's actually very simple. It's about some relationships. Love the Lord your God 
first and most valuable thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. So the most valuable thing you can lean into is to love God. And even if you're like, well, I don't really see the value in that, I think Jesus is challenging us to rethink this. He says, then love your neighbor as yourself. So he's talking about your relationships with people. Love others as yourself. So now the most valuable thing that we can lean into is to love God and love others. Love others as you love yourself. Which begs the question, do you have a right relationship with yourself? Because I believe a healthy view of and relationship with yourself is only possible through relationship with Jesus. When you see you as God sees you, you will change, your values will change, what you value will change, and then you're able to love others as Jesus loves them. And that's the most valuable thing. When you find it, it changes your value system, and you sell everything and you buy it. In other words, you reprioritize your life around these new values because overvaluing the wrong things will cause you to overlook the best things. And one day we'll see what's really at stake when it comes to God and his love for us. One day we'll understand what it means for Jesus to die for our sins because he loves us. And one day we'll understand what it means when Jesus says, I want to have a relationship with you because I love you. So question is, what do you value? What do you value? What do you really value? So here's a test. Your calendar and your monthly spending reveal something about what you value, plain and simple. Most of us have money for groceries and we think we're far poorer than we are. We are not that, you are not that poor. Because look around. Your calendar and your monthly spending will reveal what you value. So here's, here's a question. What if, what if we lived our lives overlooking the most valuable things? Because think about this, much of what you value today ends up in a yard sale tomorrow. One day you're like, I can't wait to get this. I can't wait to get the new one. I've been saving for a while. I'm just going to put it on my credit card because I should get it now because it's on sale. And the other one's about to break anyway. And the next thing, you know, you're trying to get people to take it off your hands. Yeah, you're like, yeah, $2, that's enough. Thanks for coming to my yard sale. So the question is, have you built your life on something that lasts into eternity? Because a lot of us are going to build our lives on the things that we want, what I want, what I want to accomplish, what I want to accumulate, what I want to do, what I want people to think of me, what makes me comfortable. Oh, here's some bad news. A life devoted to self ultimately leaves you alone. A life devoted to self ultimately leaves you alone because that's what happens to selfish people. It's me, 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 my, my, my. I deserve it. I'm entitled. I want. Well, guess what happens to selfish people? You don't have any friends at the end of the day. So why do we overvalue? Why do we overvalue things that end up being worthless? Why do we do that? Why do I do that? Why do you do that? Why do we overvalue things that end up being worthless? Why do we have this attitude of I want, I need, I'm entitled, I deserve? And how will you know? I mean, how will you know what you really value? And this is, a, this is just a simple uh, indicator. It doesn't tell the whole story because I, I think we should track and audit how we spend our time and energy too. But if you'll simply track your spending for a month, track your spending for a month or a couple months, and you're like, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to look at what I spend. That's too complicated. 
I'll tell you what, if that's too complicated for you, if that's too much work, then we got bigger issues at hand. So, but this doesn't have to be about digging through piles of paperwork. Uh, you know, just pull up your banking app. You use a banking app, right? I mean, or did you just want the newest phone so you could shoot better selfies? I don't, I don't know. So pull up your banking app and, and look at how you spend your money. Some of you track every penny and you budget, so you're going to be able to do this real easily. Here's a little perspective, okay? I did a little research. Here's how the average U.S. household spends money. The average American household expenditures for an average family, housing, that's rent or mortgage, taxes, insurance, utilities, and maintenance, 39% of our income. Transportation, that's car payments, gas, insurance, maintenance, 16%. Food, 13%. Insurance, retirement, health care, lump all that together, 18%. Clothing and personal care, 5%. Entertainment and recreation, this is a big category. It's everywhere from the four-wheeler payments to fishing and hunting and camping to streaming services and video games, 5%. Education, less than 2%. And all other expenditures, including charitable giving, 3%. Oh, and that includes child support and alimony. I'm not judging. I'm just wondering, if is this really a good value system? And this is not comfortable. Taking a hard look like this is not comfortable. But it'll help us discover what we value and if we feel entitled to it. If you do, ask why. Why do we feel entitled to that? And again, I'm not even saying you need to change this or that or something else. I'm just saying we need to stop lying to ourselves because at least we're going to know, right? At least you're going to know because overvaluing the wrong things will cause us to overlook the best things. Jesus said, if your priorities, your value system isn't my value system, then here's what you're going to overlook. You're going to overlook your relationship with me. You're going to overlook your relationship with others. You're going to overlook your relationship with self. And if you wrestle that down and peel some layers off, do you know the difference that's going to make in your life? Do you know the difference that's going to make in your workplace? Do you know the difference that's going to make in the way that you parent, in the way that you do your marriage, in the way that you do family? And eventually, we start making different consumption decisions, and we won't be driven by the things that used to drive us that, because feeding our appetite just fuels it. It all comes down to value system. Several hundred years ago, some people thought tulip bulbs were worth more than your home and more than your car and more than just about anything else, and they were wrong. So what is it that you might be valuing today that doesn't quite have the value that you think it does? All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is a very challenging message for us. For some of us, maybe this is the first time our minds have gone here and it's uncomfortable. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have the freedom to do uh, his work in us, to do what only the Spirit of God can do in us. Help us to see when we're chasing things that in the end don't really have that much value. Help us to focus on what does, on those things that last for eternity. May we really think about the things that really matter, the things that you taught us, the things that you modeled for us, the way that you lived your life, the way that you poured yourself out for the sake of others. Thank you for valuing us. Thank you for the price that was paid for the sake of relationship 
with us for everything uh, that, in, that you did, all the, the price that you paid, the high price that you paid to restore relationship with us. And for that, we are grateful in Jesus' name.